Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. You know, most of us have something in our past that's a painful memory a traumatic event, a heartbreak, years of bullying or rejection that still gets us triggered. We hear how important it is to move on, forgive, let go, live in the present, but those words can often seem like cliches. If you've been hurt deeply enough, therapy and self-help practices alone may not completely free you from the tyranny of an old wound. True freedom requires the courage to embrace what happened to you and use it to change the world. Today, our guest, Lisa Ram, is a broadcast veteran with strong ties to the Atlanta community. She's the host of the Morning Edition. You probably know her, though, from her 21 years at Fox 5, where she was a reporter and a newscast anchor. She's a mother, daughter, sister, friend, and a woman whose mission is to foster triumph through tragedy. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Oh, what a pleasure, Dr. Janie. It's it's an honor to be here. I've heard so much about you and the show, and uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Well, the honor is all ours, and I was looking forward to meeting you and talking to you virtually. You know, Lisa, your story, you know, your truth and your light is such an inspiration to so many people as you've been a public figure through your career as a news reporter and a morning show host. Please share with us your path and journey to becoming this popular jur- journalist that we know today. How did it all start for you? Well, it started in a small town <laughs> in Flagstaff, <laughs> Arizona, but that's that's after. Well, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, went to school at Arizona State University, um, after graduation, started getting uh, some radio jobs in Phoenix and some other small markets, but really loved TV, wanted to get into TV and was able to get into TV through a friend who helped me get this, my very first job in Flagstaff, Arizona. Fell in love with the industry, fell in love with the job. And it's one of those jobs that you have to go where the jobs are just to get the experience that you need. So it took me all across the country. It took me to Florida for a couple of jobs in Fort Myers and then of course, in Orlando, where I spent five years and loved every minute of it, minute of it there, and then landed in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So I have been here for twenty plus years, and you know, as you mentioned, I was uh, uh, an anchor here at Fox Five, and the love of speaking and, and telling people the news and sharing what's going on uh, with the news began when I was in high school. I was a member of the speech team, and upon graduation, I was like, okay, what do I want to do? I was like, okay, I'm nosy. I like to write. Uh, I like to learn. So it it was the perfect combination. So it it just fell into place for me. What's been some of your highlights? I mean, 21 years at one station. I mean, to me, you know, where we have the the world where people are changing jobs every now and then to be at one station for for such a period of time. I imagine you've had some favorite interviews or some favorite memories. You know what? It it was home for 20 years. You know, I sat on the anchor desk the majority of the time and and the anchors don't get out of the field as much, but I had some big interviews. But my biggest interviews have come with Morning Edition, uh, working for NPR. I have uh, interviewed every newsmaker, babe. 
you know, that you can think of. Um, those near and dear to me are those who were born of the civil rights movement. You know, we have Andrew Young right here, just to be able to call him up and sit in his living room and just talk to him about history does something for you. Uh, when Coretta Scott King was alive, I ran into her in a bathroom and just talking to her about her life and her mission. And, uh, you know, she just taking me on as a motherly figure. That was just incredible. Uh, so the list goes on and on. So really, you know, presidents, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Carter, um, you know, the list goes on and on. So it, it's been great to be here and, uh, you know, learn some new things that, you know, I think you're never too old to, to learn. So it, it, this has been a wonderful opportunity for me. So those that, that don't know Lisa, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with Morning Edition. Well, I've always wanted to work for NPR. It was something that I listened to when I was in college and just loved the sound, loved the information, loved the different stories, as opposed to the blood and guts that you get on commercial TV. So I've always wanted to uh, work for NPR. So it was just a perfect marriage. The opportunity came up. I took it, of course. And it, it's just been a love to be able to tell stories that mean something to people. You know, it's not just the everyday fire. It's not just, uh, you know, the tornado uh, blowing a few homes down, which, which is important. But, you know, we always go a step further. You know, I was telling you that last night I did the uh, mayoral uh, forum here in Atlanta. We've got a big mayoral race coming up and very, very important, very, very critical because the crime rate is so high. So it really has ignited the entire city, brought the whole city together and just to be able to tell people's story, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid in the city that you've lived in in 20 plus years and really take it to another level? Um, that has really ignited and reborn the journalist in me working here because I can really dig deep and delve into those stories that I wasn't able to tell when I was sitting on the anchor desk uh, in Orlando and, and even in here in Atlanta. Well, it sounds like it's truly a, a blessing to be able to be a storyteller and help people connect and inspire other people. You know, and speaking about inspiration, I enjoy listening to your beautiful voice through your music. Oh, so I have it uh, for those um, that can't. Oh, you're yes, kidding me. <laughs> I'm holding up her CD that our dear mutual oh. friend let me borrow. And it's such a beautiful oh, cover. That's and, it funny. Says, <laughs> and it says for those that are only listening to us, introducing Lisa just yeah. as I am. And yeah. um, I listened to it to prepare my connection for you. Oh. And it was just absolutely beautiful. But oh this, my gosh, that was no. a long time ago. You know, I'm looking at that picture thinking, okay, I just had my son. And then, you know, <laughs> so yeah, that that was a nice journey for me. It was um, cathartic, so to speak. You know, I've always loved to sing, grew up singing in the church choir in Phoenix, Arizona, where I grew up at Tanner Chapel AME Church. I sang in the Jewel Choir and the Youth Choir. So singing has always been near and dear for me and a source of healing. Anytime I feel down, just put on that great song that will lift you up. So um, it, it was a special time. It was a special project. And uh, I haven't seen that CD in so long. <laughs> So uh, it, it was good to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so exactly that. So when, when your projects, when I look at this cover and I hear and read the words just as I am, you know, what does that him. mean? What does that mean to us now when you think about who Lisa was then and who Lisa is now just as I am? You know, because I'm a psychotherapist uh, and I believe we have to embrace all of us. So what does oh, that mean, what does that for, mean sure. for you? Well, you know what? That Just as I am, my favorite hymn. And, and Anytime, those three words take me back 
to my church, Tana Chapel AME Church, where I grew up. It takes me back to my Sunday school class and my, my teacher, my favorite teacher, Mrs. Grant, and all my friends and all our church picnics. It takes me home. It takes me to the root of who I am and who I'll always be. Um, you know, it takes me to uh, Orlando. It takes me to Jamaica, where, where tragedy happened. It takes me here to Atlanta. It takes me to sleep at night. Um, it allows me to get up in the morning because, uh, you know, just no matter who you are, it's uh, your edict is to get up, get up and just uh, face the world and, and try and do the best that you can. So I, I try to do that just as I am. So I'm always interested because you you mentioned it about the the church. How did you discover that you even had a musical gift? I mean, when you look back now, where was that moment for you? Or well, moments? <laughs> it, it was in church. I was sitting in the pews, and there was a visiting choir, and there was a girl singing in the in the uh, choir stand, and it was just beautiful. And I went home and I told my mom, "I want to do that. I want to do that." So what it entailed was going into my room and my little record player that dates me. Yeah, I had a record player, putting on some of my favorite artists and trying to to mimic them and try to sing like them. So I guess I'm self-taught. I don't know. You know, it is a gift, but um, it's just something that it just ignited in me. I said, I want to sound like that. I want to be able to express myself like that. So I worked really, really hard at it. And I had a lot of support in the church. You know, uh, you sing that that solo and it doesn't sound so good, but those people on the front row are, you know, encouraging you and egging you on and saying, amen, amen. So it that's where it started for me. It's something so beautiful beautiful sound that was flowing out of a young girl's uh, 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 mouth and I wanted to mimic it. And so I, you know, I fell in love with the process and fell in love uh, with songs. And such a, a beautiful gift for sure. And you mentioned, you know, as a, as a outlet for, for healing mm-hmm. and, you know, even through times of, of tragedy. You know, so I want to talk about that for a little bit, you know, because there are so many people that have gone through so many things and are going through things now through COVID and have had such tragedy. But, you know, you've also lived out a very public tragedy with the Mm -hmm. loss of your dear husband, Lee Norris Mm -hmm. Ram. So tell us about that day you met Lee and some of your favorite (laughs) memories, you know, your favorite memories leading up to the day where you both were glancing into each other's eyes. And I read, you know, listening to and singing the giving us this day at your wedding together. Right, right. We met at a a fashion show and just started casually talking as friends. And then Monday I went to work and all of a sudden I get this beautiful bouquet of flowers and, you know, a little note, can I call you? And he left me his number. So I called him and I had heard so much about him before, just just what a genuine and and wonderful guy he was. And so I called him and the conversation may have lasted days, it seemed like. So, um, you know, we just ignited, uh, you know, immediately. And, you know, it was just our first date. I just remember just glancing into his smile. He had the most gorgeous smile that, uh, you know, resonated his heart and uh, just just the wonderful, wonderful man he was. Well, I didn't have the pleasure of meeting uh, Lee, but, you know, I've heard exactly that, that he would light up a room. He had a big yeah. personality. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. So talk to us about, you know, from from what I understand, and please correct me if I'm off on any details, but, you know, your your marriage for of two years and then celebrating your anniversary. What were some of your highlights in that time together le- leading up to your trip to Jamaica? 
oh my gosh, it was just both of us coming home from work and just seeing each other and just sharing our days, just some of the simple things that we used to do, just, you know, go on boat rides. And um, he was very popular and he, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, he belonged to them, you know, and, and that's just the kind of person he was. He gave so much of himself to everybody. So our time was really quality time, very private time. And it was just the simple things in life. We like taking little short getaways, going to the beach, um, just getting home from work at night and just seeing each other, you know, would, would make our day. So we have so many special moments that, that I do treasure. So when you think back, you know, I, our family had went through a personal tragedy when we were, we were young, our eldest sister was um, murdered. And I remember as a, as a young person, just when I play the reel back, it just feels so unreal. All right. Going to the, to the day of um, where our world was, was rocked. You know, and I'm a big believer, you know, in just helping people in the healing spaces, right, to be able to normalize talking about some of the things that we've gone through as in order to incorporate those painful points in, in, in our life in particular. Mm-hmm. So are, can you share with us the day, the time frame that your, your life was turned upside down, you know, and what, what happened there for you and you share what you feel comfortable with? Well, yeah, we were... We were two people madly in love and just, you know, on vacation and just uh, caught up in uh, the moment of just being in love. And then in an instant, literally, you hear that in an instant, life can change. And for us, it did. And for so long, it was surreal. It was surreal. One, because I was there and I was a victim and and I saw it happen and I closed his eyes and, and you know, I had to be grown up all of a sudden because like, we were just two kids in love. And um, just the magic of all of that, just being sucked out of you in a foreign country where you're there by yourself, it's just, it was so surreal and um, just so surreal. And, and 25 years later, I still have that sinking feeling. I still have that shakiness. I still have that vivid memory of, you know, all of that going down. Um, So for me, it hasn't been anything that I've really gotten over because um, it was so powerful. It was so uh, earth shattering and, and so unbelievable at the same time. And to be on TV and to have that play out in public where you really couldn't deal with your own feelings because you're dealing with everybody else's feelings and then you're dealing with the media coverage. Um, It took a a long time before I could even feel um, not so numb again. And, And what it took for me was moving out of the city and trying to start over. And when I moved to Atlanta, immediately I felt my body just kind of go down two notches and I was finally able to cry. I was finally able to let go. I was finally able to release just a minute because again, I was in a foreign space, but it was my own foreign space. And, and it was a chance for me to really sit back and, and take in what happened. And it's something that I haven't been able to get over. I went through counseling. Um, and of course I had many friends praying for me and, and family members who held on tight. Um, and I think that may have been my choice because it's something that I want to carry with me. I don't ever want to forget him for sure. I think about him every single day in some way. 
Um, but I also want to remember that pain because it's helped me relate to so many other people. It's helped me, you know, to talk to a mother who's lost her child and just tell her it's going to be okay. It's not going to be the same. And you don't have to, you don't have to get over it, but somehow you've got to incorporate life and learn to live with it. And I think that's where I am. So many people, you know, I haven't seen in many, many years and, you know, they'll pick up the phone or they'll send me an email or a text. I saw you, I heard you. And, and it's so good to know that you're flourishing and you're doing well. I am, but I'm still on that journey of healing. It doesn't hurt any less. It really doesn't. Um, I went on to, you know, I remarried and I had children, but that part of my heart was ripped away. That part of my heart, I still kind of nurture. Um, you know, I have to go back to it. I have to remember. I have to um, allow myself to feel that pain. Um, you know, I just think anything else, uh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be transparent. It wouldn't be authentic at this point. So it's been quite a journey. Um, I'm good. I think I'm healthy. Um, but I still have that place. I still have that hurt 25 years later, you know, so I would be telling a lie and say it's something you can get through and never think about again, because that's not the truth. It's something that you can get through, but you still hold it near and dear and you do something positive with it. You said some great key things I want to highlight. I think they're so important is that you don't get over you, you get through and you incorporate what you've gone through with your new normal and everyone copes differently because mm -hmm. some people do. And it's very common that some people need to move out of their physical space, whether it's the mm -hmm. city, whether it's the home, whether it's, you know, just creating a new normal. It doesn't mean that you've forgotten the old. It just means that you needed to cooperate something new to as a way to cope and to take mm -hmm. on a new chapter. And I think that's so important because, you know, Lisa, sometimes I'll, you know, as I'm counseling women and working with women, they have, you know, something, something that we call survivor's guilt. And oh, yeah. there's this oh, loyalty, yeah. feel like they have to stay put. Oh, and, yeah. you know, another part of that, and I think you said mm -hmm. it, you know, when people are looking at your your life now, some mm -hmm. people have an, um, a mindset of how they think you should be or mm -hmm. what you should be going. So, you know, how do you cut out all that noise and you embrace mm -hmm. your normal, your grief process, and that this was a huge tragedy as part of your life, so incorporating your life. And I think a mm -hmm. big part of that or one of the things that I work with women is cutting out all that noise and doing oh. what's uniquely for you because right. no one knows your story. No one knows Lisa's mm -hmm. story except Lisa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Survivor's guilt is a, is a real thing, is a real thing. And, um, you know, I dealt that with that for, for many years because then it turns into, okay, then what is my purpose? Why, you know, why... You know, wasn't I killed? Why wasn't I shot? Why wasn't, you know, so it, it's real. And, and people throw that on you, you know, especially people, you know, who loved him immensely. You know, they put that on you as well. Not intentionally, but it happens. It happens. Um, and, you know, that's life. But again, I had to go into my closet create my own sanctuary. And I'm telling you, it's music, it's music, it's, it's songs, it's uh, Kirk Franklin. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, so many, uh, some of the old uh, Walter, Walter Hawkins songs, um, many of the songs that I, um, you know, used to sing in church uh, with the choir. Uh, 
music got me through. And I, I literally had to go into my closet, say my prayers, go into my sanctuary and really get through it myself. Like I said, I did go to counseling um, and it helped. It helped. You know, it helped. But at night when you're, you know, alone and you're in bed and you're looking up at the ceiling and that sinking feeling comes over you all over again um, and the nightmares and, and the what ifs, you know, what if we didn't go? What if we had stayed here? What if we hadn't done this? You know, when all of that starts to, you know, cloud your brain, you know, there's just for me, there's just only one place to go. And that was to God that was into my closet that was on my knees. And that was just filling my mind with songs and and just cutting out the noise. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that, because, you know, a lot of times women or men, but I primarily work with women, so I refer to women, you know, have this, and it's part of the grief process, and we call it bargaining, and you just said it's like, what if, and you replay that over and over and over mm-hmm. again, and, you know, the other part that you mentioned, and I'm a therapist, right, people can go to counseling, they can go to support groups, they can do all these things, but it's in the quietness of when you're alone or in the middle of the night, the psychological isolation of tragedy sometimes is the worst pain of the healing process because no one can understand that except the person who's gone through it. For sure. You know, and I remember days, I would, you know, I'd go to counseling and, and the therapist would bring out a box of tissue and basically say, cry, cry. And I'm like, I can't. I'm so numb you know, I'm so numb because, you know, on top of that, we had legal issues we had to deal with. I had to go back for trials and then the conviction was overturned on the technicality. And then, I mean, there was just so many other factors that, um, you know, piled on top of the grief of losing the love of your life, someone that you were so in tune to, someone who you wanted to spend the rest of your life with, someone who you wanted to see the world with. I mean, you know, that was our thing. We wanted to see the world together. We we were in Orlando and we would go to, um, what's, the, what's the theme park for the different countries? You know, that was our, that was our way of Good seeing Epcot. the world. Yeah, <laughs> Epcot, Epcot, you know, that was, that was a big deal for us, going to Epcot and just hanging out, you know, and, and seeing the world together. Um, but, um, you know, so, you know, many years later, you know, I ponder and I was able to sit and I was able to remember, start to remember some of the great times that we had because all that other baggage finally wore off and was finally away where, you know, I could appreciate what we had. So when you look back now and you reflect and you think about the woman that you were at that time with Lee, I mean, what would you tell her now with everything oh, that you've known that you've gone through, everything that you know that you were in at that moment? Oh, gosh. Well, Survivor's Kid says we should have stayed home. <laughs> you know, I wish I wish we just stayed home. God. But uh, on a more, you know, serious note, well, that, that is pretty serious to me, because like I said, you go through those thoughts. Why, why, why? Um, I would tell her just enjoy every moment. Because in truth, as much as I, I, you know, I hate to say, you know, you hear people say, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. You were, you know, my whole thing was we were supposed to have a whole lifetime together. You know, when I was in Jamaica, 
the villagers were selling little baby clothes and I bought a couple of baby clothes because we were going to try and start have children and, you know, um, and then all of that gets wiped out in a second. But I would tell her to live, you know, each moment to the fullest because our two years together was our lifetime and it was the greatest two years. Um, so I embraced that. I had the time of my life. And we did have a lifetime of love. It just happened to be two years as opposed to 50, but I have that and no one else has that with him. And I have that. And, and that's what I cling to. I, you know, I look at our wedding picture every now and again. Um, I read his poetry uh, every now and again and, and would like to share a poem if, if we have time. Um, and, you know, I keep him alive. I keep him alive. And even though, you know, I've gone on, um, my life has moved on. My children know him. They know his poetry. And, you know, I take his name with me everywhere I go because he's going to go with me everywhere I go. And people are just going to have to understand that. So, um, you know, we've created a different life together. We've created a different life together. We're still bonded. And, you know, I, I just have to accept that. You said a, a key point there, and and that is that he is still with you, and mm -hmm. you've created a different life, a different bond, mm -hmm. and living through you through different. Yes, you've gone on, and you know, you know, part of you know, I think of our own family tragedy is incorporating and everything that we do now because we are still here, mm -hmm. and being able to appreciate each and every day. And to me, that's also the the legacy that's keeping those that cannot be with us. Uh, with us today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember not too long after that happened, I, I was wandering around Winter Park and went into a little gift shop and was just browsing around, just spending the afternoons because that's what you do. You don't you don't have any direction for a while. You just you get in the car and you drive, you know, you go to the grave site, you visit the grave, uh, you may call up a friend. So that time was just, you know, I'm glad I'm past that. But I remember roaming into this, this store and the lady looked at me and she said she knew who I was. And she said, you know, life is for the living. I guess she could tell that I just really was just wandering aimlessly at that point. And she said, life is for the living. Get on with it. Life is for the living. And, you know, I was, you know, you feel guilty. I don't want to get on with it without him. You know, I didn't want to enjoy this beautiful sunshine. I remember looking at this beautiful day and I didn't want to be happy about it because he wasn't here to enjoy it. So you have to take baby steps and you can't let anyone put a time frame on those baby steps. And eventually you'll get to that place. And, and I call it the sanctuary where you can breathe, you can exhale and you can share your story. You can still grieve, but at the same time, you can minister to someone and help them along the way. I love that word, the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. What does your sanctuary look like today, Lisa, as you oh. continue on your journey? Well, I'm writing a book called Meet Me in the Sanctuary, where I, where I tell my story. And I've you know invited some other women who've gone through similar tragedies to share their stories as well. And my sanctuary is one of joy and one of peace and living for the moment, no matter what. I don't worry about what I used to worry about. You know, there's just no point. And I would tell my younger self that don't worry about things you can't change. You know, the Bible tells you that the Bible tells you that. But if only we would listen. Um, and it's taken me all these years to, to really get it. Uh, life is for the living, but just enjoying the simple things. And, and that's what I try to do in my sanctuary today. 
Well, you heard it here on Let's Talk About It with J.D. Lacey. She's coming out with the book (laughs) so that help you all create your sanctuary. And everyone's journey is different. And Mm -hmm. we have to take those steps each and every day and that live our life and that they're with us. We'll be right back on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey with our special guest, Lisa Rayum. Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed? This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses, and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regretted? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it, anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. So call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back to Let's Talk About It. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey with our special guest, Lisa Ram. We were talking before the break just about the healing journey and how the healing journey is different from, from everyone. You know, before we, we, we transition to, I want to hear um, some of Lee's work, but talk to us a little bit about what you've learned from your healing journey. You know, we're talking about the healing journey. It's unique. It's different. And I love that you said this, and I want to highlight it because it's so important, is that there's no timetable. There's no timetable, and it's unique to the individual and For what sure. that looks like as far as coping and how people share their story also needs to happen on their timetable. You know, because I see that a lot, Lisa, just through therapy and, you know, 
my own personal story. And you know, sometimes people feel like you should be doing certain things at a certain time or, oh, yeah. you know, just, just understanding that it's unique and no one can tell you the timetable. And I think it's so important. So, I mean, what would be some other things that you could share with people that you've learned about your own healing journey when you look back that was pivotal for, for you on your journey? Well, you know, I learned the importance of standing still. I, like I said, I, I moved rather quickly. I came to Atlanta and accepted a job and probably wasn't the best time. I wasn't my best self on air. It wasn't my best self anywhere. But eventually it started to click. It eventually started to fill in because I was in a new place. I had a few friends here, but it wasn't like, you know, my life in Orlando. But I was able to stand still stand still. I was able to sit and and listen. You know, oftentimes when you go through tragedy, and, and I was like this, you feel like you always have to be doing something. You always have to, you know, you, you want normalcy as much as possible. Um, you want, you know, you want to feel, you, you want to deny what God is kind of taking you through. And for me, that caused extra stress. You know, um, you know, it took a toll on my health. It took a toll on my voice. I lost my voice for a while because of the stress. But then when I started standing still and just tuning out everybody, because, you know, everybody has a remedy. Everybody has a book you should read. Everybody has you should do this and that. Everybody, I want to take you here. Everybody wants to bring you this, that. This will make you feel better. And none of it does. None of it does. You don't feel like reading <laughs> after your, you know, your husband has been torn out of your life. You don't feel like reading. So I just really had to take the space. And, and I'm serious about the sanctuary. I call it my sanctuary. I take time. I meditate. I focus on who I am and who I want to be. I don't hear. I tune out what everyone else might be saying and might be feeling and might um, you know, the picture they're drawing for, for what my life should look like and really take the time to sit and listen to yourself, your inner self. Um, that's what I had to do. And that's what brought me this far and uh, provided the peace that, you know, I needed to one, nourish my kids, my life uh, that I have today and, you know, exist in the space that I do. So share with us, and I think this is important because you you said it as far as friends and family. I mean, for those that are listening or watching us and they're trying to support a friend who's gone through a tragedy, what can you share with those people who are the support system on how they can best support someone who is in the midst of their tragedy? You know, I would say um, don't come with some great remedy. Don't come with some great speech because you always end up saying the wrong thing. Uh, some things require no words. They just require presence, patience, and just unconditional love. And I would say just be there. Just stand up and be there. Let them tell you what they want. Let them tell you what they want to hear. Let them tell you what they may want to read. You know, just just being there. Just being there. Patience and that presence, mm -hmm. giving the gift of your presence and asking right. them. Asking that that them. goes a long way, doesn't it? Just showing up. Just showing up is uh, really makes the difference. And And, you know, 
leaving it there because people really, when, when, when we're grieving, when you grieve, you, you don't hear anything else. You really, it's a process designed for you to get through on your own, to dig down, delve deep, believe in whatever God you believe in and, and cling tight to that inner self and, and really get yourself over that mountain. And I want to highlight that because I think that is so important that there's no magic words. There's no magic gift. There's no magic yeah. apple pie. I mean, there is none of that. The, but mm-hmm. being with someone, showing them that you love them and being in their presence and being patient with them and not trying to craft and model what their healing process should look like is so important. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You know, I would, um, you know, because I do believe this is also the space and time where we can create um, Lee's legacy. And I would love oh. to hear some of his work um, that you have to share with us, you know, because I understand he was a poet and was oh a great gosh. speaker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, he would light up a room. He was in great demand, was speaking all over the place and, and believed in encouraging specifically young black boys who, who were, were lost. And he really wanted to provide them hope, um, you know, give them inspiration, um, always wanted them to hold their heads up high. And that really was his mission uh, to make a difference in, in their lives. And, and boy, did he in so many different ways. Uh, but yeah, he, he was a poet. He was a master of words. He was a master of uh, words in that he was one of those people who when someone was mourning, he could say something that could really make someone feel better. So he was that light. He was that shining armor. And um, I'm just honored and privileged that uh, God gave me two years with him. What a blessing. Yeah, a real blessing. Yeah, so love to hear some of his his poems so that we can share it with those that um, we are blessing their ears. Well, one of, the, one of the poems that he was well known for is uh, Mountain Mover. And I thought about, okay, should I read Mountain Mover? And it's, it's so powerful and it's so him and, and it's his signature piece. But the title of his book is Things You Should Know. And he wrote a, book, a poem called Things You Should Know. And I love it because it's what I talked about earlier. It takes us back to the basics of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Um, and it's so simple, but yet so, so profound. So here are the words. Mm-hmm. Growing up is the very first step. Staying up is the next. Pay close attention when the rules are passed out. Don't become perplexed. Be fair with judgment. Try not to criticize. Mark the man who checks his work for is probably wise. Take care not to talk too much or to try to know it all. Our mouths can sometimes cause our hips to head straight for a fall. Be sure to use patience as your young guide and make certain that it stays in place. It will surely keep you calm when anger shows its face. Be careful to stop and notice the colors of your spring And don't forget the joys the early days will bring. For those who are sad and feel kind of low, don't forget to pray to God. These are a few things I thought you should know. Wow. That's one of my favorites. I love Mountain Mover, um, but this, this really hits home for me because that's who he was. He was this great grand presence 
but he was also very basic, very loving, very kind. You know, his, he would, you know, go to his mother's house and wash his mother's hair, uh, always had to check on his family, loved his brothers, would do anything, you know, to, to help his brothers um, or his neighbor or his lifelong friends. And, and he was just that kind of shining light um, that was the truth, but almost too good to be true because he, he was just that great. And that is great. And I like that. I'm looking at it now. Things mm-hmm. you should know. And mm-hmm. one of the statements that, that jumped out at me that I really appreciated and I was pondering is when you read, be fair with judgment, try not to criticize, right. mark the man who checks his work for he is probably wise. <laughs> right, right, right. And and he, he was very wise for his 32 years. He very, very wise. His father was very wise. I used to love going to sit and talk with Mr. Ram in, in his room. And boy, some of the things that came out of his mouth, uh, the wisdom was would just knock you over. And uh, Norris inherited that. He really did. So with his work of of his gift of words, your gift of music, you know, <laughs> his uh, his gift of being a, a poet, a poet. I mean, what would be some when you look back now at his 32 years of life and the gift of the present that you had with him? I mean, what would be some things that that maybe people didn't know about Lee that's part of how you would want his legacy to to still live on today. I mean, he had so many gifts as well as you. So it's no wonder the two of you were attracted to each other. I can completely see it, especially after reading his work and listening to your music. I mean, that's that creative space. There's just something... Um, magical we used to sing about together it. all the time. Yeah, that, that you just brought back another wonderful memory. We used to sing around the house together all the time. Every any duet that existed, we tried it. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was another great memory. But today, you know, when when President Obama took office, I looked up there and said, "Doggone it, that was going to be Lee Ram. That was going to be Lee Norris Ram." I every time I see President Obama, I think of Lee Norris Ram, that presence, that knowledge, that way of people, that way of relating, that leadership, um, that love for everyone across the aisle. Um, I, I envision him being one of the greatest leaders and, and he is still, he is still, um, he's just on another plateau. He's leading in a different way. But on Earth, he would have been president of the United States. Mm. You mentioned his, I guess I'll call it his passion for young Black boys. Back mm-hmm. then, I mean, what, what drove him, you know, especially for our inner city youth and our young Black men back then? He grew up in inner city and he saw, you know, he was fortunate to have this loving family that, that nurtured him and, and uh, all the children uh, were great. And but he saw what was happening on the outskirts. He never forgot that, um, you know, growing up in high school and, you know, he went away to college. He just never thought, forgot about community and those who didn't have what he had. And he was always looking to better someone's life. When we were in Jamaica before tragedy struck, we had identified a school there, not not intentionally, but saw a school there, and he was going to go speak to those kids the next day. They didn't know who we were, but he was going to go sow some seeds in this little school um, the very next day, this little summer school. So, um, you know, he was always looking for that opportunity to help someone, 
always, you know, I, you know, I remember it was some after school program and, you know, they needed, uh, some of the kids didn't have anything to eat. He was in the kitchen making sandwiches for them. You know, he was just that kind of guy. So um, his legacy is that his, his heart, his heart, his heart was was gold. And, um, you know, you hear that all the time, but truly he, he had a heart of gold. And our our mutual friend who the, who had introduced me to to you and to and to Lee Norris, that's exactly how she described him when I asked her to describe him. She said, "Wow, you know," she said, "Janie, he was the person that if you were to call him, there was never a no. He's yes, he's right, right there, always right. a giver, a giver. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gave so much of himself, and you know, I just." Had to resign myself to think maybe God said, okay, it's time for you to rest a little bit because he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave constantly 24-7 and didn't mind doing it, you know, and um, just maybe, just maybe it was time for him to rest. Hmm. So when you go back to, you know, your special anniversary trip to Jamaica, you know, before the, the tragedy hit, in the night. I mean, what were some of your memories of the two of you, your special memories, just the two of you that you can share with us as you're celebrating your anniversary on the, on, on an Island? Well, you know, we, we tried to celebrate every day. I mean, we were googly and love and happy and it made people sick that we were celebrating. <laughs> so we, we tried, we really did try to celebrate every day. Now that's not to say we didn't have ups and downs. We were normal, you know, I, you know, I'd pick at them for something. We'd have a fight about something, but, um, we were we were crazy in love and you know just tried to make the most of everything just just the little things in life and you know we even did that on that trip you know um just walking down a street together holding hands was a big deal for me and you know just uh looking out in the ocean and just seeing some of the same things i mean we really wanted to see the world together and just you know being there and just um having that time alone, which was so precious uh, for us just to be alone was, um, will be one of my greatest memories. Yeah, I'm sure you carry a lot of treasured and great memories in, in your heart and mind every day. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, there, I tell people all the time. I mean, I get emails from people. I, I went to high school to, and there's not a day that I do not, I can honestly say there's not one day I don't think about whether it's something I remember he said, something we did together, if I smell something, it smells like him, or if I see something, I mean, there's, I, there's, I promise you, there's not one day that something doesn't creep up. So um, I have to believe that's his angel <laughs> watching over me and just, you know, tapping me and saying, I'm still here. But um, there's not a day I don't think about him. There's not a day. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. You know, so as we pull back the the curtains of of who Lisa Ram is today. I know you have two beautiful children. I saw them mm-hmm. um, through social media. Tell us about your your children and your your family and what they're doing. I, your son looks pretty tall when I'm oh seeing him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have a 6'7", 320-pound uh. O-liner who uh, <laughs> plays for the University of North Carolina. And um, his uncle, Hardy Ram. Ram is, you know, they've adopted my children. Um, 
you know, just encourages him. He used to be a football player. So it's, it's so nice to have that football family connection. Uh, another one of Norris's brother played football and his, his son plays for Boston College and our, our kids played against each other last year. So it's a lot of fun within the family to joke about that. Um, but he's doing well. He's a senior and he'll graduate this year. He's uh, majoring in uh, communications and wants to be a sportscaster. So uh, we're hoping that will happen for him after he gets drafted, which we're really hoping for. So uh, we will see. And I have a daughter who's 20 and she's pre-med at the University of uh, Kentucky and uh, she models and uh, just just really, really great kids. You know, they're taking me through a little bit because they're they're likes and the things that they do at this age or something that I would never have done with, with my parents. But um, so I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still raising them, even though they're out of the house, we're, we're still uh, growing together, so to speak. So uh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm on my knees every day praying for them, but we are, we are completely blessed. It definitely sounds like uh, they are building and living their own life. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So let's let's project out to the future, Lisa. So your son, he's now 55 years old. <laughs> and <laughs> wait for it. So he's getting his mental health checkup and he uh, finds his safe place in okay. America's favorite psychotherapist's office. And she okay. asked him, <laughs> she asked him to, as I do many people, okay. to reflect on who his mother was to him Ooh. in his younger years. <laughs> what does he say? What does he tell us? <laughs> oh my God. I hope he will remember. Remember, she's the one who wanted to decorate my room so it was perfect, the one who read to me at night, the one that encouraged me because people teased me because I was bigger than everybody else, uh, the mother who listened in college when adjustment was extremely hard and, uh, you know, he's falling into the wrong crowd trying to be like somebody that you know, mom taught me how to be a leader and not a follower. Uh, mom taught me how to manage money and not spend it all over the place. Um, and mom was just there for a shoulder to cry on. Mom was just there for a shoulder to cry on. Mm-hmm. So then same thing for your daughter. So she's now 55 and she's in that psychotherapist <laughs> office. And I'm like, who is who was your mama when you were growing up? <laughs> Oh, we tease each other because she is my ride or die. So I would I would like to think, you know, moms are supposed to be my best friend, but mom was my best friend. She was my shoulder. She was uh, my friend when, uh, you know, I was isolated and, and when I was young and I didn't get invited to every birthday party, you know, perhaps because of the color of my skin and just dealing, you know, with those issues. Uh, mom was there cheering me on when I was on the football field as, as a cheerleader. Mom was cheering me on when I was struggling through uh, biology in college. And um, mom was there like she always told us her parents were for her. So I've always tried, you know, I had the best parents in the world who never left us, always encouraged us, always lifted up, no matter what we were going through. Um, You know, I remember my father's words to me after, you know, Norris was killed and, you know, he just looked at me and he says, wow, you're strong, you're strong. And I'm strong because my parents, you know, taught me how to be strong and, and how to get through. And no matter what, hold your head up high 
And, you know, I teach my children that dust yourself off, no matter what's going on, it's happening for a reason and, and, and keep going. So we as a family have had to dust ourselves off many times in, in many circumstances, and uh, we're still here. Still here. And it sounds like your son um, has some of mama's influence. Uh, he's going into <laughs> communication. <laughs> You know, it happens. I just, you know, you sit back. They tell you to sit back and just let them find their way. And he started doing all these interviews, and I was like, he really has a gift for speaking, and it just came natural for him. So, you know, I was really glad he went down that path, and I, I didn't have to push him. So it, it was natural. Natural. Well, my son is nine, so I expose him to some things. So we'll see what uh, see. <laughs> what seed. <laughs> yeah, what, what takes root. Yeah, yeah. They say you're just supposed to just let go. You know, expose them to everything you can and just let go. So the hardest part is letting go. So that, you know, senior year, you got to start preparing yourself. Senior year of high school, you got to start preparing for for letting go. All right. Well, <laughs> I can't even imagine yet. <laughs> oh, I know. You're just starting. At nine years old, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Do I remember <laughs> when my kids were nine? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could have those times again. Sure. So, well, your daughter. So, I've seen some of her pictures. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful young lady. What's made her decide to go into to pre-med? She um, wants to be, specifically wants to be a dermatologist. So, she, okay. um, like I said, she does a lot of modeling. She loves skin care and, you know, just kind of, grad, you know, gravitated toward it uh, naturally. So, uh, yeah. So, we'll see there, too. So, she's one of those who wants to, she's a world traveler, too. She wants to help the world. She wants to, uh, she's done a lot of missionary work. So, we'll see where it takes her. It's, it's exciting to see them find their niche, you know, along the way. I would imagine as they had gotten older, you know, and they're looking at who their mom is and who she's who she was. I mean, how were some of your healing journey lessons incorporated in in, in bestowing those upon your your children? Because I would imagine they know mm-hmm. a lot of what their mom had gone through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they asked a lot of questions early on, and they see me get through. And so I think that's made them stronger. Now, sometimes to a fault, because when you're young and you're you're hormonal, you need to show your emotions. And, you know, I think my son would go through things and be strong when he really didn't have to be. So I had to break him out of that habit. But they know God and they know prayer and they know they, you know, have a, a great support group within their family that they can lean on. So I think that helps them to be, you know, the people that they are today, the young, young people. To be able to communicate, talk, ask questions, mm-hmm. and have that community is so, so important. Just so oh, for things. sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. To have those uncles and aunts who, who can add a different perspective. And thank God that they have plenty of those who do, um, you know, promotes a well-rounded child, I think. I think. So I, I'm blessed that they, they are getting that extra nurturing as well. Mm-hmm. So in our last few minutes, I would love if you have it available, if you can share um, some of Lee Norris's work, his mountain mover. You talked about it being his signature piece. I would love to share that with I our do. audience. You know, I did have the pleasure of reading it. And there's just such rich information. So as we wind down, I think it would be a great piece to, to end in our last few minutes. Okay, I, the last time I saw him perform this was uh, in Atlanta, downtown at a hotel. He was attending a conference and he was speaking at that conference and standing in front of the room and the room quiets down and he just commands the room. Mm. And even I have heard it 
several times by now. And even I had to stand still and listen. I am a mountain mover. Whenever trouble appears, I'm going to move it out of my way. This is my victory, I yell to the hills. I will not give up and fail. I am a mountain mover. People who won't help me can't hinder me. I'm pressing ahead, leaving all negatives behind. I will not be controlled by pushy lies, wanting to replace their energy with my lifetime. I am a mountain mover. I won't let sorrow hurt me. Move, mountain. Get out of my way. I am a mountain mover. My life is an important part of your history. You need me and I need you complete to complete our destiny. I am a mountain mover, solid as a rock and strong like an ox. I am smart like the eagle soaring over the sea, keeping love first for you and me. I am a mountain mover. Get out of my way. I am a mountain mover. Move, you mountains of clay. I can't let defeat obligate my will. I must fight, struggle. I must fight, struggle, and appeal. I won't lose. I won't give in. I am a mountain mover straight to the end. Mountain movers move mountains. Mountain movers keep their heads held high. Mountain movers put their best foot forward and reach beyond the skies. Mountain movers can solve problems. Can you? Mountain movers aren't here just for the view. Every day I check my strength and make certain I'm ready to prove that those big old mountains can and will be moved. I am a mountain mover. Mm, and and the crowd would roar. And <laughs> so I, I, I tried to do it justice, but not like him. And it, it, was, it, it was always a very, very special moment when he did mountain mover. And it's a special moment with you sharing it with us and ending our episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey, Lee Norris Ram, and a mountain mover. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Lisa. We appreciate opening your heart, your time, your lessons, and sharing it on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Thank you. It was a pleasure and honor. Thank you. Thank you. You never know how strong you really are until being strong is the only choice you have. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week.